Welcome to the Rose Podcast number 918. This episode brought to you by Future Man. Future Man. A new Hulu original series. Uh, it's Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg. Uh, Seth's going to be on the podcast soon. Jonah, you sat in on that one too. I did sit in on it, yeah, yeah. Jo- Jonah's like coming back around the Nerdist podcast. Matt, we're still not sure what time zone he's in right now. <laughs> but anyway, Future Man. Uh, Future all- Man. Starring Josh Hutcherson, Future Man. Future Man. A janitor by day, hapless gamer by night. He was tasked when traveling back in time to prevent the extinction of humanity, which is brought on by the cure for herpes. So don't miss this epic action comedy series. All episodes now are streaming only on Hulu. It's... I didn't say it yet. <laughs> I, but you're still, I didn't say it yet. I want to be right on top of it. Future. Future Man. Future Stone for your poolside. That's not what we rehearsed. Future Man. We don't sit and rehearse these intros for hours <laughs> on end for you to come in and improvise, Jonah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know that. I know that well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, I was supposed to do that before, when you were saying the other line. I yeah, forgot. Katie, you, you set it all that in together <laughs> so Jonah's just agreeing on with the, me for everything. When you're in final draft, you got to split mm-hmm. the dialogue so I know to do it at right, the same right, time. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. I'm going to be in Portland at uh, Helium, December 7th through 9. Mm-hmm. So please come out to that. Helium, Portland. Great club. Portland, great city. Great city. Portland, Oregon. Uh, Katie, Katie Levine. Uh, I just want to remind people that we have some other great shows on the network, like the Todd Glass Show, which is nonstop laughs from Todd Glass and his friends. He playing more music? (laughs) More jingles. More jingles. Uh, Malton on Movies uh, with legendary movie critic Leonard Malton, Hound Hall Discussion Series, hosted by Moshe Kasher, which dives into interesting topics every month. And also the Nerd Melt Showroom has fun, exciting, and totally affordable comedy shows every single night. There's stand-up, live podcasts, improv, so much more. So you can find all... Uh, tickets and info at nerdmeltla.com. I don't believe it. Really huge lack of Jonah Radio in that list of podcasts on the network. You know what? I'm choosing three at a time and highlighting those. That's all right. It's to be a- fair, you did... You did abandon that for I a didn't, while. I didn't. I didn't well, we never bad. said we were on a schedule. <laughs> we said we were going to keep it fun. And you try to wrangle... Like, it's like... Think of me and Matt on our worst day, and it's Cash and Neil are ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be his funny day. <laughs> I instantly got you a know, picture. For listeners of both, you're going to love that. Do you have anything you want to pit, you want to plug? Uh, no, I don't I don't have anything. Um, I don't have anything to plug. I'm Mystery Science Theater 3000? Yeah, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is on uh, uh, Netflix Hit 14 episodes. Uh, in America is on VRV, verve.co. First season free in front of the paywall. Second season, you got to sign up. With Verve also has uh, Harmon Quest. Yes, yes. Uh, Harmon Quest. Uh, my brother, my brother, and me. The show, yep. like a, all the little CISO orphans. A couple of us went over to VRV.co um, and watch. Uh, yeah, watch Hidden America. I'm very proud of it. And then Turkey Day Marathon coming up on Thanksgiving. Fantastic. Uh, this episode is Hari Kondabolu. Uh, who is promoting The Problem with Apu, which is a documentary premiering November 19th on True TV. And uh, he's a, a good friend and a great comic and mm-hmm. was on At Midnight a bunch. And uh, I really enjoyed this documentary. 
I really did. I went into it. I mean, I talked to him about it. And then I went to it like, what is this all about? And I watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, well, it's really good. It makes a lot of great points. Yeah. So, uh, but I, but I really, I adore Hari. And, uh, and, I, and it was really, he's just, he's just great. He's such a he's smart a guy. He's a good, solid dude. He's a solid dude. Really funny. If you have a chance to see him, he's touring right now. December 1st, he'll be at the Fox Theater uh, in Oakland. December 7th, Texas Theater in Dallas. Uh, December 8th, Austin um, at Stateside at the Paramount. Uh, 12 9, uh, Houston Secret Group. Uh, December 10th, New Orleans Joy Theater. The 13th, Aladdin in Portland, which is great. And the 15th, um, in December 15th, he's recording at the Neptune in Seattle, which is another great uh, place. And Bobcat's directing his special. That's right. Yeah, uh, Hari's a really great. He has a great album on uh, Kill Rock Stars yeah. Records. It's um, really good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fantastic uh, comedy record. So I highly, we, we, we go get his stuff, support him. Excellent. Here's the Nerdist Podcast number 918. With Hari Kondabolu, Katie, please roll the thing. Future man. I didn't even say it that time. You did in the future. Shit. <laughs> now entering Nerdist.com. We're just talking about like the, the, the pre-conversation was uh, had to do with um, when companies try to force people to go to internet portals. Mm. Then almost in defiance, the audience will go like, uh, "No, because you told me to." <laughs> and a lot of times, it has to do with just not having a good interface, or not having a good user experience, or not you know, or only having one thing that people want to see. But in general, you cannot. It's 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 like it's like trying to force a tornado to go in a direction. Like, well, it's gonna go where it's gonna go. Right. Yeah. Right. And you so, know. what do you think then? Uh, a la carte, all over the place. That's that's the way stuff should be. I don't think all. I, I I don't think I think people will not ultimately enjoy a la carte because you would psychologically be um, in the undertow of of choice, which mm. is very stressful. Yeah. Right. And you also don't. I I don't think most people want to do the work of. I'll, I'll grab. They don't want to cherry pick their own stuff. Yeah. People just want a platform that goes here, and they go, okay, that's good. That that is right. more than you know. I can more than fifty percent justify. You know, there's just enough here that I will give you five dollars a month for this thing. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, definitely. They almost want what TV used to be with five channels, and these are the choices. So I'll pick one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, people, you know, we're so. Um, we're so spoiled as consumers now yeah. because we can get exactly what we want, however and whenever we want it. That there's no, there used to be like a, a real compromise where you'd watch something and go, yeah, this, you know, this wouldn't be my first choice, but it's on, and there's nothing else right, on. So right, right, now yeah. it's like, not only do you have to be a hundred percent into something, but if it's not exactly what people want, it's like their fucking uh, enemy. Yeah, it's like this needs to go away. Like, well, you could just not watch it. No, I want this fucking pulled from the yeah. Like who does who goes to a museum and then just sticks around the painting they hate the most just to <laughs> right, talk right, to right, other right. people about this it? This needs to go away. This needs to go away. Should be blue. <laughs> it's called blue. <laughs> How do reruns of old shows survive then? Because like growing up, it was like you went home after school and there's all these reruns yeah. and I'd see shows that I've never even seen before that yeah. were canceled 
And that's how I, I knew. But why would kids now do that? There's no reason to do that. I don't that. know if kids yeah. would, but I think there's enough. There, there really still are enough people in the country, in a country of 350 million people. There still are enough people yeah. that listen to radio and, you know, right. watch, you know, will watch like the My 13 and they'll just yeah. watch old reruns. I watch yeah. My 13. Well, because especially in a time that feels so tumultuous, I think people are going to race to nostalgia because it's very comforting and you don't right. have to think about it. You know what do you what do you watch what 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 are your nostalgia uh, choices? I mean, The Simpsons often. Yeah, yeah. seasons one to ten, right? Are still you know you go up to ten. Or... A lot of people don't go up to ten. Really? I always hear people cutting off around seven, eight. I I I went I went to about ten, and then it gets really yeah. You know. Caitlin Gill uh, says that she's like she's like there's another golden era like seasons like sixteen through. 18 That's or in the 19. early 2000s. Like I can't remember which exactly she said. She's like she's like no, there was another golden That's era hilarious. that no one talks about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the documentary the second golden era. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on your documentary by the way. Thank the you. problem with a poo which is appearing on True TV uh Sunday. Yes. Um did you see it yet? You haven't seen it cuz it hasn't aired. I haven't seen it because it hasn't aired. So yeah, yeah. I have a link to it. I'll, I'll send it to you, and then you should watch it. Cool. Go back airs. in time. Send it to me. <laughs> and I can engage <laughs> our friend. It's the Bill and Ted thing. I'm going to remember to I go remember back in time. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Jonah goes, hey, it was oh, great. Yeah. yeah. But you just, a little blood comes out of my nose because the past has been changed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Are they making a third one? Bill and Ted, because they were they said they were going to. They always talk about it, you know. Um, Alex Winter's been on the podcast a couple times. He says there's a story, you know. Every once in a while, he talks to Keanu, and Keanu seems to be into it. And uh, you'll hear a tittering of it on the internet, like, "Oh, it's gonna," and, yeah. then, and then it doesn't happen. It would be rad if though Ted does have all the skills that John Wick has now. <laughs> like now he's just this badass fighter. That would and like be... a post apocalyptic like they messed up the. The future so badly that yeah. now, like they both have like these John Wick skills. That Just, would be that would be incredible. Yeah, but uh, but I really did love the documentary. You did a really great job with it, and for a lot. And, and I asked you before, like, well, how much should we talk about it? In the sense that if people haven't seen it, uh, we don't want to spoil anything. But at the same time, they know they know. I mean, the the the, the thesis statement is in the title. Yes. So I feel like if you're comfortable with it, we should talk about it. And even if we talk about some things and people haven't seen it yet. It's still worth watching. Like yes. it's you shouldn't. This this is not a this is not a kind of thing you should be like oh spoiler. Like no, you should still watch it because yeah. it's yes. culturally important. Yes. Um, and I imagine. Have you done radio interviews yet? Have you done any? Oh, radio? I've done uh, everything. And, yeah. So because what I what, well, my my heart went out to you for the like morning radio show onslaught where you get up at like three a.m. and you do like three hours. And I and I'm I'm just guessing that what you've probably had to deal with is just like. Some, you know, really, uh, some of the more aggressive morning shows are like, hey, what's the, what, what's the problem? I mean, it's like, what, is comedy not allowed anymore? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy over here. Yeah. Right. The responses that, I see on your Twitter is like oh, people boy. going like, it's a character. Right. Like, that's like the thing that oh, people go for. It's, it's a character. Uh, 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 Apu just got offensive now. All of a sudden, 30 <laughs> years in, you're just trying to. Cash in uh, based on uh, going after the Simpsons. Um, oh, I guess you only worry about Indian characters being offensive. You're selfish. Oh, wow. Um, you can't do anything <laughs> yeah. in America anymore. Oh, boy. Political, <laughs> politically correct culture is destroying everything. And then there's the series of different types of harm and death. Yes. That will, and that's just, yeah. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, I think <laughs> even when I heard yeah. about what it was, I had a minute of, like, defensiveness of, like, but wait. But yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's, it's so much a part of 
you know, that show yes. is so much a part of who we are as, as comedy entities because it, uh, you know, it was so influential. And it's very, you know, like we wa- we still watch, a lot of us watch it still, you know. Well, I wonder if it's kind of the thing. I remember being a kid and seeing the Mickey Rooney, you know, the Chinese character from yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's, yeah. Tiffany's and being like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. And then having adults go, it's not crazy. Like, you know, it's just, I wonder because we just kind of grew up with it that, you know, we didn't really, it's like. Not, that's what people are doing now. They're like, "Oh, but it's been around forever, right?" But right. Uh, but but you know, and I coincidentally, um, Dana Gould record Dana Gould recorded a couple weeks ago, and that podcast will go up next week. If I had known he was in the documentary, I could have asked him about it because mm. we had a whole conversation about how it can be it can be tricky to go back and look at comedy from other eras and get mad at it because it's like well at the time cuz I watched 16 candles not that long ago right and i was like whoa like there were yeah. a couple of like holy shit you know it's like especially around the long duck dong character course, yeah. and i was like fuck it could just i just kind of got sweaty and yeah. uh, but but you go well you know at the time that they wouldn't it wouldn't have they wouldn't have thought like this is really offensive it's like this that's part of what the comedy landscape was at the time right and as you evolve it's good to be able to look back and go, well, we wouldn't do that now. We've learned that that's, that's not okay. Right. Well, part of it is also the perspective. Like, f- for me, it wasn't like a, a looking back and thinking about it. It was like being in the moment. Yes. Right? And I think for a lot of Asian Americans, we talked to Randall Park, which didn't make the film ultimately, but, you know, Randall talked about Long Duck Dong and his experience with that. And it was like a similar thing to the Apu thing. It's this idea of this character defining who you are. Right. Which seems ridiculous because... You know, there's a lot of ridiculous characters that are, like, the side of a movie, just like a sidekick, a ridiculous character. But you don't get defined by that person. Right. You're just, that's just a character. But right. for us, we get defined by it. Right. Like, that's all you get. So, you know, it, it, I was asked a question recently, like, you know, does, does it make you feel weird that people are going to watch The Simpsons now and feel weird about it when they see Apu? And to me, I'm like, I don't think it's weird because I always felt weird about it. Right. It was like you watch a show that you love. I love The Simpsons and ha- really influenced by The Simpsons. And you're watching it. And I don't even like – it's weird because Apu's not a bad character. Mm-hmm. I think he's fundamentally flawed. But that doesn't mean he's a bad character. He's right. like still a good character. And you're watching the show and it's a good plot. And all of a sudden there's a joke in there that is so either racist or absurd. or It, it's, it becomes clear that the character – isn't written the, the show isn't written for you you're not in the audience nobody thought about you that joke's about you and your family and you are irrelevant and it feels it must feel like your friend it must feel like you have a really good friend yes. who all yeah. of a sudden takes a shot and you're like I'm like what hey, here? <laughs> we were friends <laughs> what are you doing for them uh, yeah. for them and also yeah. oh I, you get it and also <laughs> that's exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah and also I do I, I, I do want to say because it you know to, to, to say like Oh, or now people are going to be uncomfortable. It's like there's nothing wrong with having to think when you know, mm-hmm. if you're watching something and and going, oh maybe this is, you know like maybe it's okay to think about whether or not this is okay. And I'm not trying to I'm not you know I'm not trying to kiss your ass or sound like I'm super woke or whatever. But I do. But you you really did in the course of this documentary uh, change my mind about how I felt about it, huh. which. Now I go, okay, fine, because now I'm in the camp of, hey, look, you know, the character, and this is probably part of the problem with having a show that has been on for this long, is that society has sort of evolved past where they started. Right. And 
you know, I, 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 you're, you're right. Like when you, when you sort of present the idea of like how is this different than someone doing any other race and doing like a caricaturization of, you know, like a, a, an African-American character or an Asian character, whatever, you go, oh, yeah, it's really – you would not let a – you would not have a white guy now do – if this show started now, you wouldn't have – you wouldn't allow that to happen, a white guy doing sure. an Indian character's voice. I mean, to me, part of it is just each – with people of color, any representation that isn't like, you know, white, male, straight, cis, like every representation that's not in those four, there's so few that each one is weighted more. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like people are like, well, how about you? There's Groundskeeper Willie, mm-hmm. right? And you don't have any issues with Groundskeeper Willie? I'm like, look, like, first of all, I didn't know any kids who were Scottish growing up. I don't know how many people did. One. Two, there's other Scottish representations. Three, whiteness is interesting because it kind of eats up ethnicity. People have all these different cultures and parts of who they are. And then all of a sudden, when you ask somebody what they are, they just say white. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, you have something else. And I think whiteness does that. So someone can have Scottish heritage and it's like, well, Groundskeeper Willie has no impact on me whatsoever. Meanwhile, if you're an Indian American and this is all you have, like, you don't have anything to balance it. There is not a, like... Well, well, okay, well, there's this immigrant camp, but here's the convenience store owner that's brilliant and actually has a more realistic accent and has a life and has his own sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you don't ever have anything else, and that becomes the, that becomes the tricky part. Well, I think also, too, and, and there's just this idea of, of whiteness is that, you know, if... If you look, dif- if you look differently, yes. then it's just easier for people to kind of marginalize or throw you in a box. And I, I mean, I, I would, you know, I would have to ask Scottish people in America how they feel, but I would, I would tend to guess right. that they don't often feel subjugated uh, or like, ah, let's put these uh, Scotties over here. Right. Like it right. doesn't, you know, if, if you kind of said like, hey, what's up? You're, you're a ginger. They'd be like, ah, fuck off. You know, like it wouldn't really, and it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, they're also white. Right. So I really do understand the idea of having a white guy do this character, even though it's like he's been doing it for a long time. Like, yeah. well, yeah, but this doesn't mean he has to do it forever. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. And Hassan Minaj had a really great solution, yeah. which was for... <laughs> Rapu just one day go, oh yeah. By the way, I'm from you know I'm not yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, from the Midwest, which I thought was a, which is just a great solution because yeah. if he just one day said, oh yeah, you know actually I'm from Ohio, and uh, you know I was just I don't know I thought you wanted me to be this guy and it helped business or whatever, but I'm really this guy. Right. Then it addresses that they were doing that in a way that allows them to sort of like just kind of retire him right. or at yeah. least like have him talk like that right like change uh, change the character fundamentally but also it, may, it justifies the previous 30 years and if you nice. don't like it you still got 600 episodes right 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 Seymour yeah. <laughs> Skinner is Armin Tanzarian you know, I mean you can change oh, characters also die they disappear yeah they, Maud, like, Maud Flanders she's gone so I mean it's a cartoon you can do whatever you want which yeah. is part of the frustration the I mean I think my solution would be you know, if you're going to say that, well, it's based on a stereotype and stereotypes have some basis in reality. Well, a lot of South Asians who, who have worked in convenience stores end up buying the convenience stores and buy other convenience stores. And then they employ other people. And there's tons of stories of folks who become moguls in that way. Yeah. So why not give him some upward mobility? Let him be like a counter to Burns. Like, right. That would create a whole different set of plots that we've never seen before. Or like give his kids a voice. Let, let our generation of Indian Americans be represented in his children. Like, right. There's a whole bunch of plots 
points there. I mean, it's The Simpsons. You can really do whatever you want. And he yeah. has eight kids. And, yeah. Yeah. And also, <laughs> and also uh, you know, when people say, uh, what's not... What? What's the big deal? It's like, well, if you're white, it's not a big deal because it doesn't affect you. Right. It's like, it do, it, yes, to you, it's not a big deal because you don't, you don't suffer any of the emotional, you know, but if a white, per, let's say a white person lived in India and there was a show on Indian television where there's a billion people yeah. and that, that character was like, tr, you know, like a cowboy or right, like right. A, this stereotypical Southerner with a mashed up like nine Southern regional accents <laughs> and everyone was, everyone saw you and they'd be like, hey, it's Tex. Yeah, I'm not Tex. Uh, you know, I'm from, uh, you know, I'm from, I live in California. Not all yes. white people are like that, you know. Yeah. Then I think people would, re- like think, then I think the white people would really understand. But it's, yeah. white people are not a minority here. So it's, it's literally, virtually impossible for anyone to understand. Well, the only, I think, issue with that um, analogy is that white person would be seen as so fucking cool in India. Really? Because he's a white person. <laughs> yes. Are you kidding me? We're still like, some of us are still colonized a little bit. Like there's oh. some of that, it doesn't just disappear. It's like, oh my God. It's tax. Like, <laughs> let's get some, no, you don't need to to pay here, tax. Yeah, yeah. Like um, after, I don't think I think howdy. it's li, oh lighter skin. Oh my god, a white person in India. Yeah, that is that's oh, money. Yeah, that's yeah. prestige. That's shit. You know, I mean, Gotta I go think in our show, you know, like you know, our shows go over there. Like people, you know, people see the Simpsons there. They see all our stuff there. So you know, I it, it's this really like you know, I, I think a lot about that idea of like we base our self-image based on what we see. So, like, growing up, at a certain point, initially I loved the character, because, holy shit, we exist. Right. Mm. We didn't exist. And all of a sudden we exist. And then you realize, oh, this is the only way we exist. I know that on Monday I'm going to have to address whatever Apu said the day before, because everyone was a Simpsons fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I also, at a certain point, you start to realize, like, oh, my God, why do I have to deal with being this color? Why do I have to deal with my parents sounding like that? Why do I have to... I don't want my friends to come over and have to hear my parents, because are they going to make fun of them? I don't want them to know anything about our culture, because that might be used later. And it's all this stuff that's like, you know, I was born in this country, I'm a New Yorker, and all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, I don't get to be American completely. It's a really, it's weird. it'll mess with your head for a while. Yeah. Well, I saw, um, I, I went to an event the other night and Shonda Rhimes spoke. Yeah. And she get, it, it's not going to be televised anywhere, but it was one of the most incredible speeches. And it started with her saying, like, her least favorite question and she gets asked all the time is, you know, why is diversity important right now? <laughs> and it's just like, first of all, like, you shouldn't have to answer that nah. But second of all, she says, look, it, it, you know, it's an annoying question because it, it, it doesn't focus on the fact that I'm a writer. Mm. It focuses on the fact that I'm black and not a, a writer, you know? And she said, but... If you really want me to answer this question, uh, she, and she said in this speech, like, this is the last time I'm going to, this is the only time I'm really going to oh, answer wow. this question. And it was this really beautiful, um, it was really this beautiful idea of, you know, because I think people who are, def- you know, who are like defensive about it or people that are like, oh, snowflakes, what do you got? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's, it's not about filling quotas. It's about representation. Right. It's about you know, this country is a melting pot and, you know, the majority, yes, the majority of people in this country are white, but a lot of people are not. And so giving everyone, making everyone feel like I see myself on television 
represented in a way that I can be proud of. Right. And it inspires me to feel like I can do great things or I can do that. And Shonda Rhimes said she didn't see a lot of people when she was growing up on television like her. And then she saw Oprah, who, and who actually presented her award. And Oprah made her realize, oh, I can do that. Right. And, yeah. and ultimately where she landed was that's why diversity is important and inclusion is important because it's, it's about representing – Making everyone feel like we're represented and we are, we matter, and we yeah. all have things to say, and we're not just, you know, um, we're not just relegated to like a one-dimensional caricature of, right. of of something. Yeah, you know, in a weird version of that, like that's what that's why I wanted to move to the mainland from Hawaii, like like as fast as I could, because like in Hawaii, like I I you know I I didn't feel like I belonged. Like it's like you know I got messed with just for being tall, being a nerd, but then also being white. Right. And like, it's like, but then I, all the stuff I saw on TV was coming from like, you know, California. I was like, I got to get over there. Right. Cause then I can fit in. <laughs> and it was, it's such a weird, like opposite version yeah. of like, where it's like, I, I was like, if I go out there, then the kind of like the way I talk and the way I like, yeah. uh, like to joke around, like, it's like they're making that stuff out there. And if I get yeah. out there, I'll feel like more, like I'm a part of something. Right. Yeah, I do in my own family. Like, right, 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 right. Full of like, you know, brown, like it's like my dad's side of the family, you know, they're all, they're all brown. Yeah. And so I would just like, even family functions and Thanksgiving, I would still get like, you know, made fun of. <laughs> yeah, right. So he's like, dumb Howley, you know. Yeah. So it's, like, yeah. And, you know. and, you know, and I hope, I hope it doesn't sound, I hope I don't sound clumsy as like the whitest guy in the planet, uh, you know, is like, like walking through it. But I, I would really love to hear more because I think, yeah. I think when people, and this documentary is such a – it's also just a really great comic piece because you, you are telling the story about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's the story of you but set against this larger, this larger issue. And so I feel like you – know, I feel like I really got to know you a bit better just, just by watching this, which is what, huh. you know, like what a comedy <laughs> piece should really do is, instead of just being funny but also being insightful. I'm like, oh, I really get it. That's a piece of him. I really get a piece of this guy's soul. It was funny, right? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Because at the end of the day, I'm still a comic, right? So, at the, like, if you're going to go after The Simpsons, you better be funny. Right. Yeah. Like, there's no, if this thing ends up being serious, it's, I, I failed. Like, I, it has to be funny, otherwise it doesn't work. Because it's in The Simpsons tradition of critiquing popular culture. Right. I chose the biggest popular culture, piece of popular culture, which is The Simpsons, as far right. as I'm concerned. So, um, that was important to me. I mean, yeah, it was. It had to be personal. You, there has to be someone to follow in the story. Yeah, and I think you have to be a fan of it too to yes. be able to like take it on because you're like, it's like, listen, I think it's great, but here's a here's a problem. Oh my god! I mean, it's, it's shaped so much of how I view comedy. Like, you're allowed to be smart. Your some jokes aren't for everybody. Like every time you watch The Simpsons, there's like, oh, I didn't get that Easter egg. That's yeah. an Easter egg. I didn't get it. Um, I, I knew that like you can critique popular culture and you can be political and silly at the same time. Like. All these things being there in the same place, like I, I, I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. I mean, that it, it's incredible. So as a fan, like that's why it was tricky. And I think when people say, "Well, you clearly hate The Simpsons," it bothers me because like, no, it's like if you listen to sports talk radio and a guy's going off on like, uh, "Oh God, I can't believe this Mets pitching staff and everyone's getting injured and now Syndergaard's injured. What's wrong with the trainers? And they need another bat. Uh, <laughs> suspense isn't hitting this year. Who is this manager? We got to get a new manager." <laughs> like, like, that sounds like, like Katie. Like, 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 sir, do you hate the Mets? No, I love the Mets. Yeah, that's like that's what you do when you're a fan yeah, yeah, you, you exactly. want it to be the best it can be yeah and so i'm the same way about the simpsons can i can i say something about like it was interesting just the the whole discussion of like you mentioned shonda rhimes 
about like the importance of diversity. Yeah. I've been thinking like you know just over the last week or two just thinking about that. I think I've broken it down into, into three things. I think one is decency, which I think is part of like what Shonda was saying, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that like we all have a a piece in this, right? So, you know, growing up as a person of color watching TV, especially in the previous era before we had all this you know, so much more media, like you had to be able to humanize white people. You have to. Because if you were to say, I can't relate to this, there's nobody that looks like me, you can't watch anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if a story is nothing like your family or your life as a teenager, you still find the human connections. Like, well, yeah, it's not my family, but I understand the idea of family. And I understand, like, the, the tensions with parents. And, like, you know, I'm a teen and that's not my life. And I don't, they don't need to deal with certain things I deal with, but I get it, you know? You have to find those things. And... I feel like that's what frustrates me with the discussions of diversity. Like, well, that's not believable. Nobody's going to watch a thing with that person as the lead. Or that's not, like, it doesn't make sense for a person of color to be that. Or, no, that's a black film because it's, like, black actors. And it's like, when I hear that, it's like saying, I, a white person in the audience, cannot see my shared humanity with this person. (laughs) And therefore, it's not for me. Right. And that is such an upsetting idea because we don't have a choice but to do that. And that's important to see each other's humanity. That's such a fundamental part of all of this. Do you do you feel like that that millennials and even the and even the younger generation that are you know toddlers now, little kids now? Do you feel like they're seeing less color because because of the internet? Because hmm. you know it's like to to some degree as much as people yeah, yeah. kind of chunk off in their own kind of specific little forums and groups yeah but that um but but that so many people are interacting so much more now i, I think so. they see color but it looks different okay it looks much different i think because they see fuller pictures of people like you know when you only have a poo you only see a little sense of something and it's like a white person's view of you. Now yeah. you like you have creators that are people of color. Like Issa Rae is sharing her story and didn't need HBO. HBO needed her. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like Aziz, you have Mindy, you have all these people that are creating their own stories. And you have kids who are fluent in the internet from from like the get-go. Like there are 14-year-olds that know so much more than I did like when I was 20. Right. Like it, that alone changes everything. Like I think... Um, uh, it's not as simple as, like, all people are like this, or I don't have other images of brown people. Like, you have the internet. You'll, you'll see other images of brown people. Yeah, and, and I thought... Having sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I I'll also, filter that out. <laughs> I thought um, Asif Manvi had a very great point, because you, so good you were film. talking yeah. about, uh, you know, you talked to him about, well, is it... You know, is it weird when, when we do it? Like, if we take a character and we, you know, there's yeah. a... And, and he makes a great point of like, well, we've earned the like yeah. it's our culture, so it's not. And and the way that I think of it, for you know, for anyone, because you you see this reaction online a lot, where people go, oh, it's okay for your people to do it, but not me to do it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, and and the and please, Let, yeah. please tell me if this is a flawed analogy. But the way that I would try to relate it to those people who can't seem to wrap their minds around why it's okay is go, okay, look. You have probably said to your friends before, my mom's such a bitch. Boy, my mom's a bitch. But if someone else said, your mom's a bitch, you'd be like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, no, that it's is. Like, uh, it's yes. your family. Yeah. You have earned the credit, the, the, the familial credit or the cultural credit to make it an authentic, 
But when it's an outsider, it's like, well, that's just mean. Right, right. Well, if, like, people have asked, would it have been better if someone else other than Hank Azaria did the voice if it was a brown person? And no, the character still would have sucked, but at least it, <laughs> but at least a brown person would have gotten paid. Right. Like, who made the money off it, right? Right. And who got the Emmys and all the rest of it? Uh, doing a voice that even Hank says is completely inaccurate, and if he had to do it over, it would have sounded different because he couldn't master the voice. He had to do it quickly, and that's what he came up with. Right. Yeah, it's so, like he was, he's already there for other voices, and they're like, oh, hey, we got a new character showing right. up. That's, uh, well, know, it's weird because there's a couple of different stories. One story, that we covered two of the stories. One story is that they told him to do it, and he's like, I don't do an accent well. And he's, it's stereotypical. And they're like, no, it's fine. Another story, which Mike Reese told during a, a Cracked podcast, was that it wasn't supposed to be an Indian character. It was written in notes. It's too cliched. No Indian accent. Hank came in and did the voice. Everyone laughed. So now all of a sudden, it's the voice. And there's a third thing I heard from a New York Times writer who was researching it for an article they wrote that like apparently in some old TV guide, Matt Groening apparently told Hank to do the voice. So nobody knows exactly why this happened, but I find it interesting that nobody wants to take accountability for it because yeah. they're embarrassed. Like this is, it's weird. It's a yeah. weird character to look at. They also, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is it was so long ago, they legitimately yeah. might not I even remember. remember. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been yeah, just yeah. even like whoever like was like in the booth at right, the time. Right. You know? and, I, and I don't get the sense that there was any malicious no, intent. It was just no. like, oh, it's, you know... Because to to anyone, something that is different, yes, it has some comedic value. Because like, well, it's different. That's right. It's yeah. different. Oh, it's funny, you know. Because I don't. And so they probably were just like, oh, it's silly, and it, you know, it was at the time that it came out, it was not. That was not an uncommon, you know. But it's just, it's just like being open that over time, as you start understanding things and the humanity yeah. of people, is like. Okay, well, you know, maybe, yes, we did do that for a long time, but that doesn't mean we have to continue doing that but just because we did. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's worse. I think it's worse sometimes when it's not malicious. Sure. Because it's so, like, systemic. Yes. And, mm-hmm. Like, there's an interesting parallel uh, between what Whoopi said uh, in, in the piece, Whoopi Goldberg's in it, and she talks about how she has a... Um, a uh, collection of black Americana, like blackface and stuff. She calls it a Negrobilia collection. And, <laughs> and it, they, they have shots of it, and it's just all this, like, horrendous. You know, really? just like, bot- like you know, at bottles of things and posters. Oh, and it's wow. just, it's like cookie every, jars yeah. with minstrel just, images, wow. bla- blackface. And, like, it's really awful. And she keeps it there. So, pe- like, when people enter her house, like, they have to acknowledge this is the way it was. And it's like you can't – like history is important to understand the context we live in now, which is kind of the point of the film as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, well, this is clearly made to hurt black people. And she's like, well, I don't even think it's that complicated. I think like people thought, well, this is, this is funny. This will sell cookie jars. And then I think about Dana in his part. He says that, well, I say it's kind of mechanical that there's like four moves – like he says like – you know, like Burns has these moves and Apu has these moves and you have to write a show for 30 years. Like that's those are the choices you have to make. Right. And I said it was mechanical. And he said, well, that's that's just the way it is. If you're going to get it done, you have to. This is effective and it has to get done. It's funnier when he sounds like this. It's funnier when Barney's drunk. It's funnier when when Smithers is, is not out, you yeah. know. And when I think about that, that's just like the cookie jars. It's the same thing. It's the systemic, like, we got to get the job done. This is not malicious. We're not being mean. It's just that it works, and we have to get the job done. Right. You know, which, I mean, first of all, let me also say Dana is incredible in the film. Yeah. Because he's the only one who's honest. Right. Everybody else, like, doesn't want to talk. Like, talks. people are like, why why was he 
so like such an asshole about it. He's like, he wasn't being an asshole. Do you want me? Do you want him to sugarcoat it? Right. He said nothing I didn't know already. Right. I was shocked because he was so honest about it. Right. Wow. Like of course, uh, like a lot of white people find it funny. That's why the character exists. Like right. of course, these this is how you make a show. This is how shows go. You just have to do it quickly. If this, I knew this. Yeah. You, you get limited with choice when you have to do that. So. I think Dane is incredible because it, that is the problem. It's not so much of the maliciousness. It's the, we don't have time to think. Right. We're making a product. We don't have, this is, this is art, but now it's a product. Right. We have to get it done. And now, oh, Apu action figures are selling. All right, make sure we sell those too. They make money. Right. It's all it comes down to. But, but, you know, but that's the other thing what I love about the, the piece is that it, you know, it does, it does challenge you to think. Yeah. And, and, it may, and it puts you in a place, and, and you know what? It's not, you know, it's not always fun to be challenged to think because no. it's like, well, I already set this on autopilot. I don't have to think about that again. <laughs> right, 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 right. And when you when you when you have to sit down and think about something, and you know, and you know, no one ever wants to think that they're an asshole. So you go like, well, it's not. I mean, it, what's the harm? Because you don't want to have to face the fact of like, oh. Maybe this is hurting people's feelings because right, right. then you would have to face that you would have been complicit in that in some right, way right. without really realizing or recognizing this larger systemic problem that you're referring to. And and then at the end, I was like, and, and my wife, too, was, you know, when I told her about this, like, it was the problem of the poo. She was like, oh, I love a poo. And then we watched it and she was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some points. And I go, yeah, you know, and, and if that means that that I have to change how I feel about a character or change how I, then that's, you know, like the, the world is like our culture right now is at an incredible, it's an incredible upheaval period with yes. things changing. And yes. you know what? And good. Like yeah. these are things that need to change and growth is uncomfortable. Yes. Growth is hard, yes. but you have to do it because things if they're too comfortable or they're too complacent, things are either growing or they're dying. And if you're so worried about something that like, oh, no, it's going to hurt to grow, then you'll just start to die because yes. you will become irrelevant or it won't, it won't evolve. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, sometimes you fucking have to get uncomfortable if you want to grow so we can get to a better place. It's also it's not only personal growth. Like, I think this is the other, another point about why diversity is important. It's creative growth. Right. Like, mm -hmm. if you see Apu, like, it's a lot of the same jokes over the course of the 28 years. Like, whenever it's about ethnicity, it's always, okay, like, multiple-headed gods, multiple arms, a billion people, arranged marriage, curry, uh, like, his whole identity is the quickie mark or the Himalayas, original quickie mark. Mm -hmm. billion, like, it's just the same jokes over and over and over. And it's kind of creatively, like, that's, that's limiting. If you give him more depth and if you have characters that are more interesting, you know, that's just better writing. And also, like... You know, uh, I think I think uh, Aziz or Alan or somebody had, had made this point, and I really do think this too. It's like because our voices as people of color, as women or LGBTQ folks, because the voices were suppressed for so long, everything is new and interesting. Right. You know, everything is like oh, I've never thought of that because it's never been heard. It was we weren't allowed to talk. Right? right. Like so, for all the people that say like, why didn't you're complaining about this now? No, I complained for 28 years. I just <laughs> finally get heard now. Well, yeah, because yeah. social media has given everyone a voice. Where were right. you supposed to talk about this in no, 1995 or 1998? You, you know, like you, you'd have to go to like you, you know, like to a small alternative newspaper right, in yeah. the village. Right. And, you know, but then at that point, it's people who are reading that already probably agree with right, you. Exactly. And so yes. you're not really, you're not reaching beyond the choir. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that like, you know, 
it's weird for the, people keep asking me like what, what, how come you hate a boo so much and i'm like i'm 35 years old to be honest i don't really give a shit right like this is that's been on 30 years i haven't like most of us haven't seen it past season 10 right like this is um this is more about the bigger issues that you and I are, you know, are talking about right now. It's about like these bigger things uh, about representation, and this is just a great example. At the end of the day, it's not even about a poo. Like I just want to see more people share their stories. Like this a poo story is an old story for me. Like it wasn't like I already knew what this story was. The research was fun. I got to interview a bunch of great people with similar experiences, but it's an old story that we've talked about for like 25 years. Right. So it's almost like we have to get everyone on the same page. That's kind of what Fresh Off the Boat is. Mm-hmm. Fresh Off the Boat is not Eddie Wong's story anymore. That's long gone. That's how they got the show through the door. Now it's the Asian American family sitcom that should have been around 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're making up for lost time, getting everyone on the same page so it's easier to push forward. And I feel like that's what I want to do with this film. Like, you know, uh, I don't want to be the Apu guy. Like, that's not, <laughs> like, as a career thing, I don't want to be the, the, the one who hates The Simpsons, even though that's not even true. Like, I did this because I think there's a gap to fill. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, you know, it, it, because, especially if someone takes the time to watch the documentary, yeah. and even if someone violently disagrees with your thesis statement, I think they should still watch it. Yes. And I think they should still at least try to understand the other, your, your, your point of view because it's, it is so clearly not about like, I'm trying to get a piece of The Simpsons or I'm trying, or this idea of like, I'm trying to get rich off The Simpsons. Well, I don't know how rich you think. No. Like, how, no. But, but just the idea of like, hey, um, I'm, a, I'm a human being. This is an experience that I had. Yeah. This is an experience that a lot of people who who uh, are from a similar ethnic background had. Yeah, it's very human. You know, it's like it, it's 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 a bummer. Like when you sit down and you talk, and your parents are there, and you talk to your parents, and they're like, you know, and they're just resigned of like, well, it doesn't really. Yeah, no, it's not accurate at all, but it doesn't bother us because right. you know, like. We, when we came here, we had to be careful. They didn't have the entitlement also. Right. Like, like, as Americans, we have an entitlement. Well, I deserve what everybody else gets. And for them, they're just happy to be here. Right. They're just happy to, you know, to, to, to make money and protect their families, man. It's, it was completely different. I mean, that, part of the film also is me being able to um, talk about my folks and how much I love my folks. And, and also, you know, I think part of me was embarrassed that I was embarrassed at any point. And it's a shame. I think there's always a certain point where people of color realize they're people of color. You don't, you know, it's not like you always knew, like, oh, I'm different. Especially, I grew up in Queens. Right. Like, I didn't, you know? Like, everybody was another person. And the, and the white people didn't call themselves white people. I didn't know anybody who was white. I did, but they were all Greek or Italian or yeah, Irish. And, right. like, yeah. you know, every, there's, it's such an ethnicized place. You don't just say you're white. That's, that's for the Midwest. That's not for New York. You right. know what I mean? Like, we own that identity. So it, it was just so different. I figured it out when I was watching TV, and I realized, oh, I don't exist here. Right. That's when I figured it out, and that's when you start to realize that you know uh, the rest of the country sees me as different. I don't get to be you know. And then I went to college in Maine, and it solidified it. But like uh, <laughs> <laughs> the theories were proven yeah. correct, uh, and it's a, it's a bummer too. But but even as even as like I said, as you know, someone who's the whitest looking person in the world, there there's still. And and if at any point I say anything that doesn't sound right to you or sounds tone deaf or whatever, please by all means call me out on it because there are certain things as a member of the you know the ethnic majority in this country yeah. that I just fundamentally can't really understand 
because I'm j- I've I've always been well, there's always been you know 300 million people who look like I do yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, but it you know this this country really at least. It, and all of this in the songs we were taught in school and the stories we were taught in school is supposed to be a melting pot. It's supposed yeah. to be a land of opportunity for everyone. Yeah. And, and yet there are certain cultural things that happen that that seem contrary to that. Yeah. yeah. So what's yeah. the – like what is the what – what are, what are some of the solutions? I mean what, what are some – I mean you know outside of The Simpsons – what do you see as being part of the solution uh, to try to get everything back? I mean, I think part of it is definitely diversifying what you watch on media. You know, try to see like films or shows which you normally wouldn't see because it forces you to be like, oh, these are all characters are all people of color. And I'm not in this and that's okay. You know, <laughs> that it doesn't need to be completely about me. Part of it, I think, just naturally... Like, it's really about money. At the end of the day, like, you know, people aren't creating these shows out of a sense of goodwill. It's because they're like, oh, they have money too? All right. Right. You know? Plus, it's not like the old days where you have a few cable channels and some broadcast and everybody wants the biggest piece of the pie. Now people want a piece of the pie. Right. So if you find that niche and you you reach that base, you have that piece. Right. And also, like I was saying before, our stories are – have been suppressed for so long, that's that's new, that's fresh. No one's ever done that before. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody wants that. So I, I feel like diversity is also beneficial from the point of view of, uh, of an industry. You want the next thing, and you have an audience that's bored of the same old things. We recreate everything. I mean, that's why the Apu voice lasted so long to begin with, why actors were being told to do it, because we do the same thing over and over and over again until it doesn't work anymore. Right. So, well, okay, I, that's not the action we want. We want the one that's on the show that everyone else does. Right. I mean, so I feel like a big part of it now, because media is so diversified, is it's just going to happen, and you just have to support those shows when they come out. Um, and also to, to your other point regarding, like, I'm not getting rich off this. I am not getting rich off this. <laughs> I cannot share my contract with you, <laughs> but, but I will not- tell you for a fact, <laughs> I am not getting rich off this. And uh, I don't, based on the details of my contract, in under no scenario will I get rich off well, this. Well, I just, I hope people can watch this. I hope that there are people who can watch this and not just take it as an immediate personal attack on something that they love and yes. watch it from the point of view of like, this is a guy who is a human being who had this experience with this thing mm-hmm. and I should li- be, and he's allowed to tell you his experience right. like without you feeling threatened. And I'm a comic. Yeah. Yes. Like, that's the other thing that annoys me for all the talk of like, you don't know how comedy works. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You don't know how satire works. Like, you know, yeah. like, I, look, comics are supposed to take challenging subjects and do the best. I mean, that's why you know when someone's a hack and when someone isn't, because it's like, oh, you're doing that in the way that everyone else did it. Yeah. Like, this is not an easy thing to do. And again, mm-hmm. if you, if you, like, found some random guy who was bitching at you about, fuck you, you're trying to ruin, and you go, okay, and then you 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 just got some basic information about that guy's mom, and then, <laughs> and then you put on a wig, and the same kind of dress his mom would put on, and, like, you know, like, white, whited out your face a little bit, yeah. and just, like, did, like, a, put, like, an extra lipstick, yeah. and just started being like, you better come down. The guy would be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" It's yeah. like, That's... I, would, I would then be killed. But, yeah, but yes, <laughs> but it's like, but just for people who have a hard time understanding, it's like it, it is, it is, you know, it's 
it, it, it marginalizes your family and you care about your family yes. and, and it hurts. Like it doesn't it, – I can't imagine that it feels great. Well, it's also kind of like, you know, when we talk about like police brutality and stuff, it's like, you know, how, why do these cops keep shooting black men? So well, how many images do they have in their head of black men and what images do they have? What images do they grow up watching in the media? And this is all that we have, these like a sh- few number of images of violence and sure. gangs. And all of a sudden you have a gun on you and you're scared. What pops into your head? And that's another reason why representation is important because when you don't know a broad range of people, especially – look, this is a segregated society and it's fucking sad. But we live in a segregated country whether because of economics or like race and fear, whatever it is. There's a whole bunch of reasons. But we don't mix the way we're supposed to mix. Sure. And as a result, like, like media ends up dictating how we view other people. And I think a lot about 9-11 because I remember after 9-11, I remember so many brown people being detained and deported and beaten up. Muslim, Sikh, brown, didn't matter, right? And I think, why? Why would in this, when we're mourning as well, when I'm a New Yorker as well, born and raised, like, why is this happening? And I think, well, what are the two major images of brown people in this country post 9-11, right? Right before that point, you had Apu from The Simpsons, harmless convenience store you know, uh, owner, like no real impact. And you have terrorists, right? Terrorist attack just happens. Which side are you going to err on right, at that right, point? Right. There's right. a huge range of humanity between those points right. that nobody thinks about. But with Las Vegas, for example, no one's going after every middle-aged white dude because it's like, we know many middle-aged white dudes. Right. That would be an absurd idea. I, you know, you're, are you saying Tom Selleck and Ted Danson are the same? Right, right, you know, right. Like, I don't know why those two exist. But I also, yeah, mind, yeah. But one's got a mustache, idiot. <laughs> uh, Tom Selleck shaved his mustache? Get it right, Jonah. I watch Blue Bloods, I know. Oh my God. That's why Danson needs to grow the mustache. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but to, to your point about 9-11, you, in the documentary, you talked yeah. about how for like four or five years, years preceding 9-11, yeah. you were, I guess, supposed, I mean, I guess the way you had framed it was yeah. giving the audience what you thought they wanted, which yes. was an Indian comic doing st- Indian voices. And, you know, stand-up comedy is, 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 very, is, is very interesting in terms of entertainment because, you know, diversity can be a real strength. Yes. Because, you know, there are so many white guy comics and it's like, well, how do you stand, you know, but if, if you're diverse, it, it immediately... You know, allows you to stand outside the pack a little bit, but also at what cost? Do you yeah, feel yeah. like, well, do I have to give what people expect people who look like me to do, That's or right. can I just be a comic? Can yeah. I just be a comic? Right, with, with the full range. Right. Right. I mean, I think for me, all comics, I think for the most part, when they start, are hacks. Right? right, we're all trying to make people laugh, and you do whatever you can because silence is the scariest thing <laughs> in the world. And you're an Indian kid, and there's no other examples. And the one thing I knew is that Indian accents work, and I knew that because I was a Simpsons fan. <laughs> oh shit! So it's oh like my God. this is oh. this has proven to be very effective as a weapon against me. So I will use this weapon to get laughter. And so that's what I did, you know, in addition to, like, taking Chris Rock and Margaret Cho jokes and adding the word Indian to them, essentially. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, like, that was, like, the early part. I mean, I think that the numbers were fudged a little bit uh, on our part in terms of the movie. It was more like two years of doing – I started when I was 17. The 9-11 happens. And then there was, like, two to three years of, like, me trying to write politically – but not wanting to get rid of the hacky stuff, sure. Because I, you know, I needed laughs. Yeah. So here's the stuff that's preachy that I don't know how to make funny yet, and uh, and then there's the because I remember I saw Paul Mooney do stand up for the first time, and I I never laughed so hard because I'm like you you can make people walk out, white people can walk out, and you're okay. Yeah. And most of the audience was people of color, and I remember seeing that thinking, 
I want to do that. I want to make people uncomfortable too. And the thing is, when I when I tried to do stand up after that, I I came across as a like sixty year old black man in an Indian man's body trying to do stand up because I was just trying to do Mooney. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you got to talk about your experiences. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the civil rights movement. I'm like, what are you like looking at it now? It's very embarrassing. So I was doing the civil rights movement, talking about poverty and injustice and also my parents sound like this right. like, it's like, <laughs> it, like there was such a it's just a little bit of a disconnect because like I need the laughs at the end of the day <laughs> everyone else is like what is he doing yeah. uh yeah his mom uh, yeah yeah. Play, yeah it's basically like you know it's like play the hit right exactly yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear the new stuff yeah. like just get to the hit and yeah. you can go anywhere you want and just get no laughs and you're like it's like it's okay I got the grenade in my back right right exactly yeah, yeah. Like my my heart so goes out to you because you you know comedy is so hard as it is and you know like you can have a really good set but if you did material that you're not proud of to get that good set you can't chalk it up to oh. a win you can also have a set that doesn't go as well but if you believe in everything you're saying and you feel good about yeah. everything you were doing yeah, on yeah. stage then you're like well so they just didn't get this tonight. Yeah, and they can okay. go to hell. I know what I said was good. So, you yeah. know, knowing that you were in a position where you were like, I need to kind of sell this out a little bit so that I can feel like I is um, – that is a bummer. And I'm, I'm really sorry that you but – you, but at least you – that was part of your growth process. And at and least you, I was 17, 18, 19 versus like 28, 29, right, 30. You right, know, like I, right. I figured that, that out fairly because I, I was always decent at writing a joke. I just didn't have anything to talk about and I, you know, I was a kid, right? Right. One thing that always that bummed me out and recently I've decided to change is like for the longest time I wouldn't talk about my family. And when I talked about race, I would talk about it more like in big terms without getting too specific. Yeah. Uh, just because I, I didn't want to be accused of being hacky. Right. And being like an ethnic hack. That was always the fear. Like, well, don't talk about your parents ever. Just talk about race, but like not in any way that includes you. And then, you know, a few years ago, I'm like, people's parents are kind of important in their life. Yeah. They show up. They sometimes don't show up. They have important, like they shape you. Why am I not allowed to talk about my folks? It's really about how I talk about them. Mm-hmm. So now I, I talk about my family and my, my childhood experiences. I mean, I don't do them with accents. Right. First of all, because I can't do accents. <laughs> but when I did accents, ironically enough, I was just doing a, an impression of Hank Azaria. Right, right, Because <laughs> right. that's the only Indian accent I really know how to do. Right. right? So uh, it's, it's been kind of, it's kind of sad, but like, I like the fact that finally I'm able, after all these years, to like take risks and feel like I don't need to be judged based on like xyz because there's enough of us now between kumail and mindy and aziz and hassan and asif and cal and you know partner on like i don't need to think about oh if i i'm you know th- there was a certain point where i think the only it was like me it was me kumail aziz i think those were the i think that was the only ones of us on tv for like four or five years yeah and it was just like each one of those things is like a big thing. Like if I do a joke that even slightly seems hacky, then I, everybody has to deal with it. Or like I look really terrible. Well, that's why it's yeah. really that's why it's really helpful that you know, like in Silicon Valley, Kumail's yeah. character has nothing to do with where he's from. Yes, he's just a nerd. Yes, and it's yes. like you know, it doesn't really matter that you know. That character could have been any ethnicity, and it would he would have been a nerd. You know, the fact that it's Kumail, yeah. he's a comic genius, so it, it it's amazing. But but the more the more that's just folded in, and it's like 
the more you know the yeah. brusque of people it just kind of like makes them colorblind and like oh this is just, he's just a guy he's yeah. just a nerd well I, what i love though is i love the have you seen the big sick right yeah of course oh, my, what i love about the big sick is that it's this perfect melding of him being a guy just a human falling in love but like his ethnicity is still part of, a key part of who he is so you get to see a full person it's not someone hiding and it's not a person who's a, afraid of who they are it's both right you get like this full human being and i think that's what we want more than anything in the world. Like, there's this uh, musician I, f- I love. His name is Jay Paul. He's like one of those mysterious, like, Salinger types mm-hmm. who, like, releases something and disappears for years. Um, like, he had this album that was in the works years ago, and then someone leaked it, and he's been missing for five years now. Since <laughs> <laughs> but his stuff, he's like a British, like, DJ musician, and it's this incredible mix of, like, hip-hop and electronic and old Bollywood music and his beautiful like almost R&B type singing and I'm like all mixed into one thing and I'm listening to this and I'm like this is what I want for my comedy I want to be my full self I want all that stuff I want the Indian stuff I want this all the stuff I was influenced with growing up I want the things I'm worried about I want anger I want sadness like I want the full range of human emotions and experiences and I hear his music and I'm like that's what I want like to be everything yeah. Because that, we're all everything. We're not just one thing or another. We're like all those things at the same time. And I think some of that also just comes with like the age or like 35. Yeah. Y- you get some wisdom. You get some some perspective. Yes. And, and, you, and you're able to – you've had enough experience at that point where you're able to have the point of view where you can talk about things authentically. Because yes. you start to become more comfortable with who you are and you start to get a real sense of who, how, how the world is. Yes. And you're not so scared in it anymore. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm what was your moment? Like, what for you? What was the thing where, like, okay, I, I, this is who I am. I'm going to talk about this, and this is one of those bits where I'm like, I wouldn't have done it well, or I wouldn't have done it at all. If uh, well, I did it was my dad dying suddenly. Right. It was where it was like, oh, can I talk about this? I'm like, well, this is an experience that I had. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and other people have it, and and I want to demystify it in some way, yeah. and it's a part of this process, and uh, you know. Because, you know, after you, and, and Jonah knows too, unfortunately, quite recently, but when something like that happens, it puts everything into perspective because then, you know, you can get really upset about some dumb thing. And you're like, oh, well, at least this isn't my dad dying, you know, like it, it and so it, it does create a, a, a little bit of perspective and reflection and a little, that, that you didn't really have before because, right. you know, when you're younger, you just... You just take everything for granted because you yeah. just think yeah. everything's permanent. And yeah, yeah. when you start to realize it, it's really the the thing that kind of starts to drive your midlife crisis is actually <laughs> weirdly kind of thing that gives you yeah. reflection. Yeah. Because it's the really the midlife crisis is really the first time in your life where you go, oh, this isn't forever. There's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's an end point and yeah. I'm like halfway there right like if I double the age I'm at now right. I'm probably dead you right. know and, and so that that is what gives you a sense of humanity and mortality and, and I think that's where, where the, the ability to go deeper comes from because you're just not as caught up in stupid things anymore. I think yeah. I still get I still get caught up in dumb things. I'm not. It didn't cure every problem, but it just it created a little more reflection than I had had before. And you were able after that. You've been able to get a lot more personal, like when you're on stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you know, and, and it and it's and it feel it feels better. And and there are times when people don't laugh as hard because it 
it's like, well, that's, you know, yes, there's a human thing to take away, but that's also very personal and maybe yeah. they, you know, so it's finding like, can you talk about things that challenge people and are a little uncomfortable, uh, but ultimately you can take them through it. And I think that's really the master, that's becoming like the the comedy Gandalf is that right, right, process right, right, of right, 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 right. knowing how to take people to an uncomfortable place, yeah. but then, and that's the thing, like Patton is so... Yeah. Yes, it's so. It's just like he's Dumbledore. Like he's yeah. just he's masterful oh, at that last special. My God, that was and so you just can't, you know. But that's learned. Yes, uh, because you just have to. You just have to get through that. You just have to get through that process. But you know, when you were talking about Kumail before, and particularly the big sick, the the part where you really go, holy shit! You, you just don't think about the struggles that people have of. You know, being a first-generation American. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were kind of talking about Kurt's character. No. Right. <laughs> so Kurt really had a struggle yeah. in there. <laughs> but be, being a first-generation American and being in this weird purgatory place where it's like, well... The white pe- you're a little bit of an outsider to the white people because your your skin is brown and right. you're a little bit of an outsider to your, the people who are from your, where your parents are from because you're American, right? And so you're just in this weird place of like, well, where do I where do I fit in? Right. You know, like right. how can I make how can I just be a person? Plus, he's dealing with like the religious aspect too, which God, he I mean that those scenes where he's like pretending to pray, I'm like those are unbelievable. Like that's so or there's this one. Part right when uh, he finally talks to his parents and confronts them and tells them the truth, and he says this one line that I, I I'm like that is so cool. He put that in where he says like you know you know you know he, how he says he doesn't believe in Islam. He's like you know Islam it was great for you. It made you into the great people that you are. And I'm like that is such an important yeah. thing because it tells you like this is somebody who's not saying I'm choosing this over this. And he's saying that this is all part of who I am and because and, you're part of who I am. And so I love you and this is good for you. So it's not me running from the religion. It's just not me. Mm. I'm, just, I'm like that level of depth. Yeah. Like I'm just like I, I never thought we'd get to a place where we'd see a scene like that. Like I saw that and I'm like, holy yeah. crap. That was a great scene. It's well, nuts. But also, you know um, – if there had been better representation when you were growing up, do you think you would have still pursued comedy, or do you think you would have? Huh. Do you think you would have? And I'm not not that I'm saying like, hey, it's great that no, you had to grow no, up no, feeling no. weird, but you know, um, but I think a lot of comedians become comedians because they're uncomfortable or because they're trying to deal with, you know, all the things we feel like uh, self hatred or like yeah. anger or like whatever it is that we're trying to deal with, um, you know. But the fact that you're able to take those emotions and try to spin it in a way that is relatable and also educational, but makes people think, but makes people laugh at the same time. You know, like what, what do you, do you have any thoughts on that as an I, idea? I, I'm just thinking about it now. Cause I've never thought about that. Like if there was more, would I be who I was? Cause I remember the, the, the reason I wanted to start doing stand up is I saw Margaret Cho do stand up because she had that old, um, you remember that leather body suit HBO yeah, special? Yeah, yeah. She talks about the ass master and her mom being in charge of the, <laughs> the gay porn section of the bookstore in San Francisco. Is that the one where, she's, where she says uh, like her mom doesn't understand her gay friends? She's like, oh, I'm going to hang out with oh, my friend. Hey, hey. Is he the, I'm not going to do her voice. Is, is he the gay? Yeah. I don't know if he's the okay. gay. Yeah, he's, he's like one guy in a parade. Hey, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> he talk, and she talks about her brother being super Christian, like, Margaret, Margaret, have you chosen Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? God. I, uh, I mean, I just remember seeing that and, you know, just growing up seeing like black, white, Latino stand ups. It's like, holy crap. Asian American woman talking about her family and a bunch of other stuff. Like, she's still groundbreaking. Um, and, and I was just like, I mean, it was the most inspiring thing in the world. So if we had more, would that have inspired me, I wonder? Or would somebody else have? And part of me is like, do stand-ups have no choice? Like, is it just so in you that you just have to? I think so. And the reason that I think it is, and the reason why anyone who says, I'm thinking about trying stand-up, I go, do it. Try it like a hundred times and see how you feel. Because I think only only someone... Because I think stand-up is a little bit of a flaw. When people go, wow, how can you do stand-up? I go, it's... I don't think I chose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think I know that if I don't do it, I don't. I feel weird. Like I need to. You. It's that thing of, you know, bombing in front of three people yes. at a laundromat yes. and hating yourself yeah. and going, <laughs> "I have to do this again yeah. tomorrow night." That is the fundamental thing. That We're sick. Yeah, We're sick. it is yeah, a sickness. Yeah. Yes, it's a weird thing to do to go. I'm going to get up in front of strangers yeah. and create a response that means that they like me. Right. You know, like. But don't you have friends and family that you make laugh enough? Yes, but it's not enough. It doesn't. It's like when your mom is like, you're handsome. It doesn't count. Yes. I want people who don't really know or care about yes, me. Yes, I need their approval. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's funny because I feel like I tried to run away from stand-up so many times. Like, I remember, like, after I did in high school, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to do it through college. Then I went to college in Maine. I'm like, oh, I'm the only brown one? I gotta do stand up. This is the only way where I get to choose how I want to stand up. Right. So I did then. I'm like, ah, then I quit. And then I'd, I'd read, you know, I'd seen how the New York scene worked. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm not gonna make my friends buy 40 tickets so I could do five minutes. <laughs> Bring her shows. I don't have enough friends to keep this going. And so then I went to Seattle to be an immigrant rights organizer and, you know, small scene. I'm like, all right, I do comedy at night. And I got discovered by, uh, J.P. Buck at the HBO oh, yeah, Comedy yeah, Festival. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And, he's a Conan uh, now. Uh, Conan, he's yep. still, I mean, he's the one who found me in Seattle when you can discover people for the internet was such a, like, you can just look at people's YouTube right. clips. And I, I was on Kimmel and I had a manager and it was like, this wasn't the plan at all. And even then I was, you know, I already had gotten into this grad school program at the London School of Economics for a human rights master's degree. So I ended up going there because I didn't think this comedy thing was real because like they never let us in before. Like you're telling me I can do this now. How far did you get with that program? Finished it. So you have your master's degree in human rights. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I really, I didn't. That's how much I didn't trust stand up. <laughs> where I'm like, this is not gonna, this isn't gonna happen. In the middle, I hadn't done stand for six months, and then all of a sudden, I get uh, live at Gotham. You know, the old showcase right. on Comedy Central. I hadn't done stand up forever. I had to go. I missed a unit of class. I missed my South African Truth and Reconciliation unit. <laughs> Flew back to New York. Had to relearn my act. Wow. Do it on TV, go back and finish my dissertation and didn't do stand up again for like four months. Oh my God. And then I decided, like, they opened a door. I don't know why this is open right now. It felt disrespectful to all the comics I knew in Seattle who were like the real road dogs, who had never been on TV, who were damn good comics. Like, people think if you're on TV, you're a great comic. That doesn't mean you're a great no. comic. There's a bunch of comics who just, for whatever reason, couldn't break through. Right. For whatever reason. And, and there's a wide range that we know of why that can happen. But, like, yeah, I mean, like, it felt like they busted their ass for 15, 20 years and haven't gotten this, and I just was given this, and I'm supposed to walk away from it? Right. And, like, all these years, like, this thing seemed so far away because, like, nobody wants to listen to me and... 
And I, uh, why on earth would I do it? Now all of a sudden you're telling me I have it? Yeah. I, they're, they're letting me do it. Like I have the infrastructure of a career. Wow. And so you must do, – do, do you feel a greater sense of responsibility having the education that you have with that particular subject matter yeah. of how do I use comedy to promote human rights? No, no, no. Because it's too – it, you know, stand-up is too egocentric to be. We're egomaniacs. <laughs> if you add the world-changing element, the level of power is sick. You can't... I try to think of each... It's one joke at a time, one show at a time. Like, at the end of the day, if it's not funny, if it's not making people laugh, it's not working, and you can't use that joke. It's right. about making it work. And, you know, it's not to say if it doesn't work, I'm going to change my whole act in front of an audience. It'll be my point of view, but... I'm going to make the jokes work somehow. That has to be my job. Mm -hmm. And that's all I think about it. I don't see myself as a, an activist doing comedy or, or anything else. I'm a comedian. Like, that's it. And that's how I try to approach it. I'm just like everybody else, except this is my, this is my point of view. Well, when you start out doing comedy, it's just to go back to what you said about you know, having to invite 40 friends, you're, you're chasing audience because you need an audience to oh, perform. God. No one knows who you are, yes. so why would they come see you if they know who you are? And then you get to a certain point, and I think this also helps with doing the more personal material, where you can sit back a little bit. And let the audience come to you. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and that's kind of, that's refreshing. It's spoiling. I mean, it can be very different if you go into a room where people don't know you and you've been performing in front of your people for a, like your own yes. crowd for a while. And you're like, oh, these people don't give a shit. I have to prove to them that I'm okay. But, um, but it, being in that place where it, it's freeing because you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And yeah. it's like, well, if you don't want to stay, uh, don't, there are many fine comedy choices for right, you in this right. world. And then it's just each time you go through a city, you'll pick up a few more people and that's a few right. more people and a few more people. That, I feel like that the place I'm at right now is like there's certain cities where I'm playing to the home crowd, right? right. But, you know, I just did Dead Crow in Wilmington, which is a great club, by the way. It's a small room, wonderful club. But that's like – it's not a, a home run city for me. It's like a purple – like some, some people are real. But they're, they're, <laughs> it could go either way. And, and, you know, and none of those shows were easy, and they all went well. Because I had to work. I had yeah. to work, but I still made it work. And I feel prouder of that than the other things. The other things, you're on autopilot. You know, you can dick around. You can do whatever you want. And those, it's like you're on. If you're not on, you're not going to win. Yeah. And, you know, that's when I feel the proudest. It's like, oh, okay, I got I, I They didn't laugh at that. I found a way out of it. I found a way to <laughs> – the next show, I found a way to explain that concept in a way they got. So now I have a better way of explaining the joke to set it up. And, like, I mean, that's where the real work is. But you're right. I think when you get so used to – playing for like doing home games when you're away you're like i don't know what i don't know <laughs> why are they talking why are you talking right guys, now guys it's me it's me yeah. Oh, yeah we don't know who you I'm, are it's, oh, it's, it's npr's hurry i don't understand <laughs> terry oh, gross me. anybody national public rodeo no it's <laughs> national public oh, radio <laughs> radio uh, but this was really the wrong crowd I love the, their show, This American Life. This, <laughs> this is This American Life reminding you oh, that please let you might yeah, please right, yeah. be a redneck. that does that. <laughs> You're listening to Bob Wills and his Texas <laughs> 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 
Yeah, that that'd be God. That's why. Where is that? Where is that? That, that should exist. Someone needs to make that <laughs> pronto. Is, is National Public Radio real? Uh, rodeo real? Tell me that's real. I don't think it's real. No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's real. I don't think it's real. Uh, I want it to exist the way like there was two WWFs for a while. Right. The, the wild, wildlife the Federation. And yeah. <laughs> and somehow the wildlife won. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, they had yeah. there was it was a cage match. Right. Uh, and, uh, Panda beat the Undertaker. Yeah. And uh, and so Panda. One, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, panda, yeah. Panda, the actual panda, uh, the actual panda <laughs> one. But you know, sort of. Do you? And by the way, oh, I didn't even mention the fact that Cal Penn is hilarious. It's in so it, funny because he just flat out goes, "Oh, I hate the Sims." You know, because Carhari goes, "Yeah, I'm a, you know, my friend." He goes, "Oh, I hate it. I fucking hate it. I don't uh, like it." He really hates it. Never liked it. And Harry goes, "Yeah, but there's so many good." He goes, "I can't get around it. I just can't get around it." Which just he, hates it. He's older than us, right? Yeah, because he also ta- he's the monkey brains generation, the, yeah. right before me. So I That's think right. for him, he was right. already oh worn Temple out. of Doom, Temple, Temple of Doom, yeah. short circuit. He was right? done with that. Yeah. But by the time Apu came around, this was just an extension of those experiences. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, that's where he has a guy on the street who is favorite Indian. <laughs> Indeed, character, and he goes, the guy from Short Circuit. Like, like those fishers. Oh, that's oh, the yeah. trailer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I didn't figure. I mean, I didn't figure that dude wasn't Indian until like three or four years ago. I really, I'm like, where'd that actor go? Yeah, I never thought about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he got banned from India for over a decade oh. after that. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> because it's like, really, you're gonna do this, Jazz? Yeah. <laughs> you like, know, uh, you had a billion choices here. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. was there not enough choice? Yeah. There was not enough choice. I guess. Yeah. I'm sorry. If only there was some massive industry of film. <laughs> I mean, how could we at all? So, and I don't know. So, uh, I mean, you know, what, what are you, what are you hoping happens yeah. from this? Because I know one of the, one of the through. I want a TV show. You want a TV show? Okay, great. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I want. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> well, one of the through lines is is again. This, still, you should watch this, even though uh, even though we're talking about this. Yeah. But it's will or will Hank Azaria not show up in the in the documentary, and and he does not. Yeah. Um. It, which you know, it's funny because uh, to me, I understand your frustration, but I also understand why he doesn't do it because. I guess from his point of view, especially in a world now where like outrage just it's just like right. spins so fast, and right. it's like. Oh, I had a career like an hour ago, right, right. and I don't now. You know, um, you know, if he saw your initial piece on Totally Bias, where you're like, I want to kick the shit out of Hank Azaria, yeah, or yeah. I want to think about kicking the shit out of Hank Azaria, yeah, it's really yeah. funny. He's probably just scared. You know, he just like, I don't know how the, how you're going to edit this, or I don't know how this is going to come off. Like, how do you, how do you feel about that now? Well, I feel like honestly, I feel like it wasn't his best interest to be in it because I think you get points for trying. Of you course. always get points for trying, and also you. You control the narrative more than you think because we have archival stuff. I mean, that that wasn't the issue, and the movie would have felt different if he was in it. And I think some people have like, well, it's better that he wasn't in it because you had such a fun ending. And I'm like, I I would have rather had a, an adult discussion that is full of variables that could have been great for comedic possibilities. In addition to showing like. And is inter- hey, look at two adults having a conversation about something that is not the most important thing in the world that they have a disagreement on, and they come to some kind of resolution, even if they're not in agreement. Like, but does he? Ha- but he doesn't have the power to decide. I guess he. No, I guess he could if he was like, hey, you know what, Fox? Uh, maybe I'll do every other character this. for you, right? But you know, maybe this one we should really yeah. not. Maybe I shouldn't and, do this. And one at the anymore. end of the way, at the end of the day, you know, I, you know, for the sake of the plot, you need to push something. Through like there has to be a through line. We got to find him, you know, like a Roger and me thing. But yeah. I, to me, it's like I just wanted the conversation because it would have been an interesting. Like, 
do you feel weird about doing it? What is it like to do it? And also, it's not your best accent, and you know that. So does that kill you because you know you could do a different one? And like, uh, there's all these questions that I just would have been cool. And I talked to him on the phone actually. Afterwards? No, like during we didn't put it on, on the thing because it was um, the cameras weren't there. It was just me and my apartment. He wanted to have a conversation. Yeah. So uh, we exchanged numbers, and uh, we were on the phone, and he was really kind. And he was saying how he had seen my piece and he'd watched a ton of my stand-up since then and he really likes what I do. And, like, I'm geeking out. It's hard not to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's the voice of Mo! Like, the whole time, it's like, this is the most, this is so fucking cool. And also, like, you're in Gross Point Blank. I love Gross Point Blank. Um, It's also in Ray Donovan. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. And so, like, I'm, you know, geeking, but at the same time, like, I'm like, I really want him to be in the film. And he said that... uh, he came up with a compromise, which I thought was a, a good compromise, which is if we, if we find another forum, like uh, whether it's WTF with Mark Maron or Terry Gross, or whatever it is, we find a place where there's like a, a third party recording. That way I can't really fuck with the edit because there's proof, right? There's an actual long recording. And, and I said yes, because I think that the movie's partly about accountability. It's about how people can reconcile and, you know, find some common ground. And, you know, I, I was cool with that. I'm like, let's do that. And I don't know if he expected me to say yes, because then, you know, a couple of months later, he's like, I can't do it. Oh, he did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the thing I read in the, in, the, um, in the movie. Like, after I said it, he still said no. So he, you didn't really exchange any thoughts on the subject while you were on the phone. It was just more about if we were going Can to talk we do, about this, yeah. what would it, what would it yeah. be? Yeah, and I really still want to talk about it. I still think it would be fun to have a, a really interesting conversation, because, again, I'm not really angry. It's been 30 years. We're in a different point. In, uh, you know, in the history of media and in our country, like to me, this is just like, hey, people, look at look at the fact that, you know, you're calling this a politically correct movie and we're talking about this old character. But look at how the person who does the voice and the person who has the issue with it are talking and coming up with some ideas. And right. that would I think that just would have been cool for people to see. People, nobody sees that. Nobody sees like a civil, thoughtful conversation. I've been dying. And, and I. I it was like two years ago. I said it would be really great to have a podcast just called like Civil Discourse, <laughs> and no one's ever allowed to yell. Is that everyone yes. like that? That it even if you're on completely opposite sides of yeah. an issue, yeah, 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 that you you have to do it like couples counseling, yeah, where someone says, "Okay, I hear what you're saying," yeah, but because because you know it, you, the, the best, I think the best way to really communicate with people is. Not to say you, 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 but say I, I, I. This is how I feel. This is how I feel, and this makes me feel. Because everyone understands feelings. Like, everyone has feelings. So, you know, much in the way that if people watch this documentary and look at it from not the point of view of, like, you know, you shouldn't or you – of just, like, I am a human who had this experience, and I feel this way, and here's why. And I think it's very hard for someone to be like, fuck that guy. It's like, but he had this experience, like, his whole life. What do you – you can't discount that he feels this way. Right. And and for the people who do discount it, I mean, I don't even – I feel like, well, there's nothing you could have done at that point. Right. Right. I mean, wait, so with that idea, like, how extreme would the pairings be? Would it be, like – Anthony from Opie and Anthony and like Angela Davis like what would the I have no idea because I don't know I think you'd I think you'd really have to experiment with the dynamic first of all with some softer ideas to just to huh. see if it works yes you know because our, our culture now is such a um, it's such a toxic finger in the chest culture yeah 
that I, I mean, I even find, I even find that, like there are people online that I agree with where I'm like, yeah, let's, yeah you know, yeah. we could talk, like you, we could talk like, but I think people now, because it's so, it, it's so much more about getting your voice heard above the noise that you just have to be noisier and noisier and noisier. Yeah. And that unfortunately does not pave the way for understanding or conversation. Yeah. And so I think you'd have to really see if the if it even worked if you could get to, get two people who didn't agree on something and they don't have to agree by the end right. but it's just the idea that they have to face each other and talk like human beings not that fucking CNN style thing where they're again they're in separate studios they're shouting yeah. at a camera yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so much different when you're interfacing with a machine than when you actually it can't feel like an old school wrestling promo it can't yeah. it can't feel like a promo but just to and you really would need like someone to moderate it who could pull the humanity out of both sides, yeah. and, like like a, like a marriage counselor or someone who or a therapist or funches. someone. Yeah, funches. <laughs> funches, could funches always... or Gondelman. I feel like those are the two, <laughs> two nicest guys in comedy. Yeah. Okay, I think calm down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so what is uh, what, so what is uh, so what are you doing? Like what's what's next? This is going to air on Sunday. Are, yes. you, are you nervous about it airing? Because you put so much work. Like it's like this is it. It's actually yeah. people are going to get to see it now. No, I'm, I'm not nervous. I mean, because I think I've gotten so much awful hate from people who haven't seen it yet. That I'm like, how how much worse can it get? That's just the internet. At, at, yeah. yeah. At this point, it'll be like critical, like the stuff that's thoughtful and critical. You like, like, what if you watched it and then got mad? Like, it's okay to get right, mad, right, 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 right. But maybe just it, consume the thing, like, and then half you could... your concerns are addressed in the thing. <laughs> I, don't just... I spent a lot of don't, time uh, trying. To... I don't. It's not politically correct. Uh, who makes a politically correct documentary that takes a year and a half to finish right. and requires money and time? Like, right. it's not <laughs> like it's not worth it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I can't wait for it to get out and see where those conversations go. And then, you know, I'm planning to tape a special at the end of the year. So I'm like gearing up and touring and getting ready for that whole process. Well, awesome. I'm such a fan of yours and I'm so, oh, it was so, it was such a great piece and I'm so, uh, I'm so happy that you were able to make it. And, and I really do thank you for the opportunity to kind of explore something that was kind of yeah. just on autopilot in my head and go like, Oh yeah! Wait a minute. You know, it was it was a really fun Dude, experience. Thank you. I mean, honestly, and I've you know, it's funny because I feel like you know, obviously, I've done the show and I've known you for a minute, but I, yeah. I feel like we never really have had a conversation before. Did we meet the first? Was it John, John Oliver's? Yeah, season one. Yeah, oh, wow. two thousand nine. Yeah, nineteen. And Kristen's parents were there. Yes, and Kristen Shaw's parents were there, and they liked my hair, and and I. <laughs> it was the sweet. Her mom was so nice. Uh, her dad too, and uh, I, I just remember like you know we never have had a conversation really since because you know the show's happening and I go in and, and you're I, East Coast, and I'm East Coast, and they're all West Coast yeah, people, so there's Coast. like I don't know the scene here as much, and so this really felt nice. So thank I'm you so for inviting glad. It me was to your an home. Pleasure. And, I hope people yeah. watch a special. And also, I used to the other thing that I would geek out on you about is that uh, your brother is in the band Das Racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I saying it right? Das Racist. Uh, das Racist. Das Racist. Yeah. Uh, it's from the that? Wonder Shows, yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From the Wonder Shows an episode where the kids like that's racist. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Are they yeah. still touring? Oh, they broke up a long time ago. Thank okay. God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that that was enough of that. Yeah. But yeah. no. But uh, Himanshu's doing his own thing. Vic's doing his thing, and my, my brother's been. Uh, you know, he's working on his own TV projects and stuff. That's fantastic. So, yeah. There's yeah. no longer a combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell went the other uh, way. It was nice. It, those moments were hard when he was more famous than I was. For a brief <laughs> when he got on Conan before I did, it was. I've been working so 
hard. This is my dream thing to get on Conan more than anything in the whole world, and you just stumbled into it. Uh, you just na- you just named a business, yeah. <laughs> and that gets you on Conan now. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, and, Chris. You know, I appreciate it, man. Anything we can do for you, please let me know. Absolutely, dude. Thank right. you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 